Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, if a tree falls in the forest, and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Although there's no evidence he ever said it or wrote it, the phrase is widely ascribed to the Irish philosopher George Berkeley, who built an international reputation that remains to this day. But research has established that he supported slavery as a way of bringing people to Christianity and that he also owned slaves. Now Trinity Students' Union wants the Berkeley Library there to be renamed. Gabby Fulham is president of Trinity Student Union. Good afternoon, Gabby. Good afternoon. Uh, so, so, so far, what have you done in vis-a-vis communicating with the, uh, the Trinity authorities? Um, so I suppose so this is a kind of grassroots student movement. So it was proposed and mandated at our kind of student uh, union council that has representatives from all different um, kind of year groups and classes and courses um, towards uh, in about March of this year, so earlier this year. Um, the kind of process towards proposing that involved the individual students' union, um, the individual kind of grassroots movement doing a certain amount of research. So that firstly looks like with the um, Berkeley scholars themselves, it looks like um, kind of talking to them about that. But also, I suppose in terms of, so once we passed that mandate, we made it quite clear to the things. So that looked like direct communications. It looked like a number of protests. Um, and it also looks like Trinity instigating a investigation into it, um, in which it is confirmed that yes, um, Berkeley did own between three and five slaves. It's also important to note that you know people at Berkeley's time and in his social circle were opposed to slavery. So there's the Quakers, there's Francis Hutchison, a philosopher from Glasgow University. People in his intellectual circles were opposed to slavery, so he was exposed to that. But he wasn't, and he never was, and he also had. A number of different schemes, um, kind of basically that in, that involved enslaving Native Americans, which he te- endeavoured to set up. Um, so we made that clear on a few occasions. So we firstly had in-person protests and speakers outside of the library. Um, we had multiple communications with them, and Trinity has, in fact, kind of does have the information relevant uh, to proving this link. As, uh, well, you know what I mean. The research goes back to two thousand and one. It's over twenty years old. <clears throat> all that research, but mm-hmm. the, the uh, has Trinity have the uh, authorities in Trinity communicated with the students' union or anyone else to say what their stance is on the naming of the library? Um, we have no official kind of. So actually, that's our demand of them at the moment. So we're asking for a roadmap towards what would renaming look like. Uh, a firm commitment towards renaming. Uh, we don't have a formal kind of a uh, kind of a formal endorsement of it or be a roadmap towards what renaming would look like and how that process might look like. Right. Okay. So you don't know, basically. Yeah. I haven't said anything. No. Yeah. Okay. Would you, would you, I mean, I I mean, obviously if someone say is a student of philosophy in Trinity, they're also being taught uh, um, the the works of of George Berkeley. Would you be, go that far that you wouldn't want people to be taught about his philosophical works? Um, I think that's an interesting question. I'm actually a philosophy student, so I I would say that there's a distinction in this in that we are asking kind of for the library to be renamed. We haven't said anything about um, the books being taken out of the library. Obviously, what is important in analyzing any philosopher and their overall worldview is the knowledge of how that might have been politically used and how they might have used that philosophical text at the time or how it underpinned his worldview. So certainly when you talk about kind of diversity in the curriculum or actually properly engaging with our past or um, what that might have meant, it actually can be like more insightful to have that knowledge as well. 
So I definitely think that there is, like, when you study Rousseau, you also study that, well, Rousseau, while a prominent French philosopher, uh, you know, wrote Emily and, you know, was very misogynistic towards women and didn't think these rights extended towards women. So it's also looking at um, how does that, in, how can that also be promoted and how do we proactively engage with colonial legacy, I think. Mm. But, so, well, I mean, then as a philosophy student, you'll know, you know, how... Half, maybe more than half uh, uh, of uh, certainly the ancient philosophers uh, would have been, let's put it mildly, soft on slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Aristotle, you know, uh, Plato, uh, St. Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so, so, yeah, but it's because I suppose that uh, um, couldn't one make the argument that in certain respects, Berkeley for the time was seen as somewhat progressive. Uh, and that if if you look through the sweep of history, his work actually contributed to uh, the improvement of society to eventually end up where we are now, which is obviously far from perfect, but at least it's better than it was then. I don't think you could properly make that argument, um, uh, particularly as, as he's an empiricist philosopher. So I would say, firstly, that if we want to talk about ancient philosophy, uh, a lot of the time when you engage with ancient philosophy in the curriculum, how they defined things like the citizenship or democracy, it's also important to note that they had limits on what they thought a citizen could be and the treatment of women, slaves, and other Mm. people in society is actually something important to include in order to engage with the philosophical text to its highest extent. But beyond that, I would say that I wouldn't call Berkeley progressive for his time, specifically because, as I mentioned, there were people that he was exposed to and at that time who did oppose slavery, uh, quite prominent philosophers, people in uh, his social circles, and he did not. He was actually goes up beyond just proposing it, but being a really prominent supporter of the York Talbot opinion. And this was an argument that, as you mentioned at the beginning, that justified slavery as a means of converting enslaved Africans to Christianity, but you didn't allow for freedom post-conversion. And this was actually a pretty prominent opinion for development and to, for perpetuating slavery across time. So you could also argue that uh, his kind of position was used not just for the enslavement that he was related to, Uh, directly in his ownership of slaves and the fact that those people deserve some sort of justice, uh, but also that into the the future, his being such a large proponent of slavery um, was a lot. And I think it's also about how you engage with those things to its fullest extent. Gabby, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was uh, Gabby Fulham there, president of Trinity's College, Trinity College's Students' Union. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We'll take a break after that. Bob's Books. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.